Hello, and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh with today's encouraging word entitled, Pestilence and the Promise. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you. I want us to say a prayer. Uh, my message is Pestilence and the Promises, and I want this to be a very encouraging an informative and helpful message to you. Father, we pray that you'd be with us here and not let anything twist, but uh, speak to us by your Spirit and by your Word. And uh, may great comfort and uh, wisdom and good stuff come because of this message today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Put ministering angels by us now and warrior angels so nothing can hinder. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the title of this message is Pestilence and the Promises. The text for this message is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 through 15. I'm reading from the ESV version. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice, because Solomon built the, built the temple. And when it was dedicated, he prayed a prayer, and then the Lord appeared to him in the night, and this is what the Lord said to him. Then the Lord said in this nighttime vision, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land." Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that's made in this place. Of course, that was Old Testament. Now uh, that was a house of prayer for all nations. Now, as New Testament believers, we are the temple of God, and uh, His uh, Holy Spirit lives inside of us if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. So that means His eyes are open and His ears are attentive to all the prayers that come out of our hearts. Now, my first point is what... God is doing. As of this writing, this is uh, today when I'm reading and preaching this message. It's March 11th, 2020. And uh, it's the first day that the World Health Organization has uh, declared that uh, there's a worldwide pandemic now with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which produces the COVID-19 disease. And uh, every nation in the world is concerned about this. Almost every talk show, that's what they're talking about. It all started with just one person in uh, Wuhan, uh, China, in December of 2019. And uh, now I'm going to read a few statistics. And, of course, these change daily. But right as of this morning, there was 121,747 confirmed cases worldwide out of those 4,389 have died, and uh, 66,988 have recovered. That leaves 50,370 who are still sick. And of those, 44,616 have a mild condition, while 5,754 are in serious or critical condition. That means uh, of those who have not recovered, 89% have a mild condition, but 11% are hospitalized in serious or critical condition. And uh, people are affected, like I said, in 121 countries and territories, plus several cruise ships. Now, you can get the up-to-date if you go to www.worldometers.info, or you could just g Google uh, stats on coronavirus, and you'd get up-to-date uh, statistics whenever you listen to this. Now, friend, there are 7 billion people in the world and people die every day. So what's the panic all about? Well, this disease spreads faster than the flu. Now, the flu has a reproduction number of 1.3, which means that for each person who catches the flu, they'll spread it to 1.3 others. But this uh, coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, what we're calling the coronavirus, has a reproduction number of 2.2. That's almost double the, the, uh, the spreading rate or the catchable rate of the flu, all right? It's, uh, it spreads almost twice as fast. And uh, genetic anal analysis suggests that these infections are doubling every six days. That's what makes it such a big deal is there, if it doubles, 
every six days, it wouldn't be very long until it would be millions, tens of millions of people having it. Now, the mortality rate of the flu is one per thousand. So if a thousand people catch the flu, one of them will die. But right now, they're trying to figure out the death rate of this virus, and it's somewhere between um, 10 and 34 times more deadly than the flu. Uh, it's been estimated that it's 3.4 people out of 100. That's 34 times more than the flu. But perhaps that number would go down if we knew, if we had all the cases that are people might get it and have a light case and not ever be tested. So assuming that that's the case, uh, you know, it it may not be 34 times more deadly, but might only be 10 times more deadly. What's my point by telling you all this? Well, we have a real problem, and it's an external problem, but <clears throat> we've got to deal with it and respond in faith and wisdom. Now, this must not continue, because if it did, 60 to 80% of the entire world would catch it, Economies would crash, hospitals be overwhelmed. In fact, they don't have to, you don't have to have that many people get it to have the hospitals overwhelmed. That could happen just within a few days from this recording. It would be especially dangerous for anyone in a prison. And, uh, and really, the entire way the world operates would be disrupted. And this is why we must stop it with prayer. Now, remember, from our text, God said, if there's a pestilence, if my people will pray. In other words, God has the ability to stop this thing. So where is God in all this? Now, he has either sent it or he has allowed it. But either way, he could stop it at any time, and he's the God who answers prayer. And I thought it would be interesting for me to give you some Bible examples of where God stopped a plague or pestilence instantly. And these are just a few that came to my mind. This is not an exhaustive study. There are probably a lot more uh, instances. But for instance, when Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan land, 10 of the 12 came back, gave a very bad report of unbelief and said it was impossible. And they died of a plague before the Lord. Now that went no farther. It was targeted. And uh, so it started and stopped. Then, uh, not long after that, Korah had his big rebellion, and, and uh, several of those people, 250 of the people rebelled with him, were burned up by fire that came out from the Lord. A couple of real rebellious guys, they and their families, the earth split apart, and they were swallowed. The earth closed over them. And then the people started grumbling and complaining so much that another plague broke out, and uh, the Lord was just so sick of them, he was wiping them out. And so Aaron got a censer and, uh, that the priests used to burn incense, and he stood between the living and the dead and made intercession, and the plague was stopped. But 14,700 people were killed just in a few minutes. But then God instantly stopped it because of the intercession. Another example is when the Israelites, uh, and that's Numbers chapter 16, by the way, the first reference was Numbers chapter 14. Now, when the Israelites joined themselves in the worship of Baal through the enticement of Moabite women who offered themselves, uh, they offered sex to the men, uh, a plague was starting to wipe out the Israelites. And Phinehas, who was Aaron's son, he was a priest, he grabbed a spear and he ran in where an Israelite leader and a Moabite princess were having sex in a tent. And he, he plunged that spear through them both, and then the plague instantly stopped. But 24,000 were killed in that uh, plague. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. That's Numbers chapter 25. But again, you see, uh, 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 there's all kinds of plagues. And, and some of them can just uh, wipe out, you know, tens of thousands of people really fast. But my point is, God knew exactly how to stop it instantly. 
Here's another example. When David saw the angel of the Lord, remember David had numbered the troops and God said, uh, I'm going to punish you. You want three years of famine, three months of fleeing before your enemies, or three days of plague? And David chose the three days of plague. And so a terrible plague came upon the Israelites and uh, people were dying right and left. And uh, the third day, God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. And as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and he relented from the calamity and he said to the angel who was working destruction, it is enough, now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Oran, the Jebusite. And that's where David bought that uh, uh, threshing floor from him and the temple of the Lord, the original temple was built there, Solomon's temple. Now, uh, but my point is the the great pestilence that was killing so many tens of thousands of people stopped instantly when God said, enough. Here's another example. The Philistines uh, in the book of Samuel tells how they captured the ark of God in a battle and they uh, took it into the temple of their idol and the idol fell down before it and its head was broken off. <laughs> and so wherever they took it, a plague broke out in whatever city they were storing that captured ark of the Lord. So they'd move it on to another Philistine city and then, and then uh, plague would start killing those people. And finally, they uh, the Philistines just said, you got to get that ark out of here before we all die. And so they put it on a cart and hooked two uh, cows to it that had baby calves. And so they said, now we won't, uh, we won't drive these back. We'll just let the cows go. And if they return to Israel, we'll know that uh, Israel's God has done this to us. Because, see, a cow isn't going to walk off and leave her little calf bawling. And uh, so those cows, they went right forward and they were mooing all the way, uh, but they went all the way to Israel. And so the plague was stopped when the Philistines gave that art back, that ark back. So here's my take on things for what it's worth. It seems to me that God allows things like this to happen so that the world will remember that they live by his pleasure. I believe that if he abandoned us, we'd be wiped out by something pretty fast. And... Uh, Something like this causes the whole world to remember their mortality and their frailty. This is something that humbles humankind externally, but it's meant to wake us up so that we'll recognize our spiritual need and humble ourselves internally, turn from our wicked ways, and turn back to God and just quit ignoring Him. Now, I'm not saying that God is whacking people uh, to get some attention. I think that he allows things. I think he just lifts his protection and things that are there uh, can can mount up. And, uh, you know, remember Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves when the boat was about ready to capsize. And I think, you know, if Jesus was here, he would just rebuke this virus. Uh, so I don't want us to uh, blame it on God. But on the other hand, God would have had to allow it. And I think he allows things like this when the world has basically forgotten him or saying that he doesn't exist and that we just all evolved and that there is no creator God. And then this wakes us up to say, you know what? If there wasn't a God, we'd all be wiped out. Now, it may seem like the only answer to the coronavirus is some new vaccine. And that would be nice. And I'm praying for that. But the biblical promise to stop a pestilence remains if my people will pray. Now, our examples are Aaron, Phineas, and David all stopped plagues through acts of faith and intercession. Now, the Bible says in Revelation that John saw 24 elders standing around the throne of God and each of them was holding a golden bowl full of the prayers of the saints. So I guess in the spirit, our prayers look like liquid. And every time you pray, several drops go into one of those golden bowls. I think one of those elders is holding a gold, golden bowl that's labeled coronavirus. <laughs> 
And uh, we need to put our prayers into that bowl till it's full. So you can check that out in Revelations 5.8. But see if the, if, if the answer, I mean, it may come through a vaccine, but I believe that it's going to take prayer to get that and then to get it distributed to the whole world. Well, it'll certainly take a lot of prayer, however God does it. But I believe God can just speak to it and say enough, like he did uh, in David's uh, case. So what about us? I think we should humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways and ask God to heal our land. Now, doesn't that sound like good advice? That's the biblical formula for getting through something like this. Now, my second point is, what can we learn from a virus? And as Christians, we need to go viral. Now, on March 17th, of 1968, I was a high school senior, and two Christian girls had asked me to come to their home for a prayer meeting. They were sisters, and they said, we're Christians, but we've never done anything to win our high school to Christ. Would you come to a prayer meeting? As I drove into their driveway, they ran out to meet me, and they were crying. Our six A-squad cheerleaders had died that just a few minutes before in a fiery plane crash. They landed in a private plane in a crosswind at the Rapid City, South Dakota airport, and the wind uh, picked up one of the wings so that one wing hit, and it cartwheeled that plane and exploded, and they were swept out into eternity. And we began our prayer meeting just weeping and repenting that we'd never shared our Christian faith. And so we didn't know if those girls were ready to go to heaven or if they were lost or and uh, so we, we hope they all went to heaven, but we don't know. And that's what just broke me. And I repented. And I'd been a secret believer for since I'd been 13. For five years, I'd never shared my faith with anybody. I got born again, genuinely born again. But I hadn't shared my faith. And so when I realized that people that I knew and loved and respected could suddenly be swept away in death, I realized I had a God-given responsibility to share my faith because, you know, you can get a vaccine for a virus or something, but the problem for sin is the blood of Jesus. You'll have to get Christ to forgive you for your sin. And if Christians don't talk about that, we're the ones that have the answer to eternal life. Everybody's going to eventually die in the flesh, but Jesus is the way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father. Now, you know, Jesus gave the Great Commission where he, he said, uh, I'm, you're going to be my witnesses and I'm gonna, you're going to start witnessing about me in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Now, what if he had said something like this? Instead of saying you're my witnesses or that can be translated martyrs, you'll be my martyrs. What if he'd said you'll be my viruses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the world? Now, it's taken us nearly 2,000 years, and we still haven't gotten the gospel to every person on earth. But this little virus, on the other hand, stays on its mission, and it just keeps replicating. We're supposed to replicate. We're supposed to tell others about eternal life. So when we see a virus go to 121 nations and get the world's attention in less than three months, we should once again repent for our failure to share the gospel of Christ with people who are eventually going to die. In other words, everyone. Now, it took young people my age to die suddenly to wake me up to my responsibility to share the gospel with everyone before they die. So I want to say this kindly but soberly. Are you ready? My spiritual hunch is that most Christians, even now, are praying a lot more for protection and provision than they're praying that God will help them tell others about eternal life. See, most Christians are saying, Lord, save me, protect me, don't let me get the virus, protect my family. And God's saying, why don't you pray a little bit about all these people that don't know me that might die and be eternally lost? So what's the case with you, dear friend? Ask yourself, ask yourself this. Why has God left me on earth? You know, why? Why are you left on earth? Why don't you just die of the virus, go to heaven? Heaven's a lot better. <laughs> well, one of the best reasons we should want to live down here is because there's no lost people to win in heaven. 
the big action is down here. And we should want to live so that we can glorify God on the earth, bring people to Christ, and disciple them to live like Christ. I want to ask you now again, why are you praying to be spared? See, the virus brings sickness and trouble, but we're to bring life and light and love and truth and hope and courage. And with the psalmist, we should say, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Psalms 118 verse 17. I think it would be a good idea to promise God that you'll share your faith with the time you have left on earth. See, you say, God, if you'll let me live and I promise I'll share my faith. I think that'd be a good idea to do that today. With all your heart, rededicate your life to the great commission of Christ. Now, here's a great verse, Psalms 40, verse 10 and 11. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. It's a great verse. If we want to be preserved, protected by the Lord, we ought to be talking about his greatness to people. Now, my third point is what we need the very most is a revelation of God's will. Now, you're probably asking God for protection for your family and for yourself. And you're probably praying for God's provision because this could be really a a perfect storm economically. But the number one thing you should be praying for is to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. You see, that's how supernatural faith comes. When God reveals his will, he serves you faith on a platter. Now, that's when he names it, you've got to claim it. He can't force you to have faith, so you do have to claim what he names, but it's right there for you. If you get a fresh revelation of God's will, you'll have the supernatural faith as long as you claim what God names. Now, Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul. Remember, he appeared to him on the road to Damascus when he was going to arrest Christians, and and uh, Paul got saved and became a great uh, apostle. But later, Paul returned to Jerusalem and was arrested, and Jesus appeared to him again in the jail cell and told him that as he had testified in Jerusalem, so he must testify in Rome. Now, that gave Paul faith that nothing could kill him outside of the city of Rome. See, that's the that's the foundation of that great faith that he had, the revelation of God's will. Now, two years went by. He was moved up to Caesarea. He couldn't get a fair trial. Finally, he appeals to Caesar. They put him on a ship after two years. They're taking him to Rome, and they get caught in something like a hurricane for two weeks, and all natural hope of being saved had vanished. And so there in that in that ship, Paul needed a fresh revelation of God's will. I mean, he knew he was supposed to preach in Jerusalem, but the situation was so bad, so deadly, so terrible, that God sent an angel to say, Paul, be of good cheer. You know, God has graciously given you the souls of everybody on the ship. I believe there were 276 unsaved people on that ship and the three Christians, Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus. And he said, nobody's going to die. You're just going to run aground on an island. The ship's going to be destroyed, but God's going to save everybody's life for your sake. And uh, God's given them the souls uh, to you. Uh, And after you have the shipwreck and get safely on shore, then eventually you're going to go to Rome and you're going to preach to Caesar himself. Now that gave Paul, he still had to claim what God named. He had to get up and shout above the storm. You mentioned to listen to me. You wouldn't have suffered all this loss, but be of good cheer. Last night, an angel of the Lord, the God that I serve and belong to, told me not one of you is going to die. Just the ship's going to be destroyed. We're going to run aground on an island. Well, that happened exactly that way. Now, they were making a fire, and Paul picked up a load of brush to put on that campfire to get warm, and a poisonous snake jumped out of the brush and bit him, and got its fangs stuck through his wrist, and he had to shake it off. That meant that it was probably squeezing its poison glands more than once, and so it was worse than a regular snake bite. 
and uh, he had faith to just shake it off and he didn't die, didn't swell up, didn't even get sick because Jesus had told him he'd have to preach in Rome and the angel had said, you'll preach in Rome and to Caesar himself. So he had faith to just say, snake, you haven't heard about it, but I'm not dying on Malta. And he shook it off into the fire. Now, uh, God was making all things work together for his good that the natives were ready to listen to anything he said then when they saw that miracle. And then the Bible says that uh, he prayed for the father of the chief of the island. And this old man had a high fever and dysentery. Now that sounds like uh, influenza, uh, a bad sickness of some kind. And Paul prayed for him and he got healed. And then the Bible says they brought all the sick. So apparently this was something that was really going around like a pestilence, like a plague. And uh, God used Paul to heal them all. And Christianity swept the island of Malta. Now you say, well, boy, that would be nice to have faith like that. Wow, would I ever like that? I'm in a deadly situation. I got problems all around me. Uh, sick people all around me sure would be nice if I had some faith. Well, you'd have all you need if you get filled with the revelation of God's will. You might as well get excited about that. Because if God says, I'm keeping you alive for a purpose, here's your purpose, this is what you got to do, you know what? You're going to have all the faith you need to get through anything. So I'm excited about God's will. Praise God. I believe God has a will for me. I believe he's got more for me to do, and I believe I know what it is. So, uh, you know, I don't believe I'm going to die in the plague. <laughs> now, uh, Paul wrote this to uh, some of his uh, people that he led to the Lord. He said, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, the NIV. Now, you see, he, he knew what the revelation of God's will had done in his own life, and so he's praying, you know what, I'm praying for you continually that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's what we need more than anything. So when you pray for yourself, you could say, Lord, keep all the sick people away from me. Please help the vaccine come out. And God says, honey, that's, that's all okay to pray that. But the thing you need the most is to ask me to fill you with the knowledge of my will. Now, I hope each of you will say a good amen, because that's absolutely true. Now, here's my fourth point. Do not give God disruption. In February of 2015, it was right around my birthday, which is February 24th, but I was in Edenton, North Carolina, and during a pre-service prayer meeting, we were going to have a meeting where I spoke. We had a prayer meeting before it. And in that prayer meeting, God spoke to me, and he said his word for America was not destruction. I feel like God, I felt then that God could justify allowing America to be destroyed, but he said the word for America is not destruction, but rather disruption. That's my word for America. And, uh, and I knew in my spirit that God was giving America more time to repent. So instead of giving us national destruction, he's going to give us disruption on a great scale. I sensed that just about everything was going to be disrupted, but I was not told the mechanism so I didn't know if it would be an EMP or a financial crisis or what. I didn't know. Now, since that time, and it's five years later, I have watched regional disruption happen, such as the California fires disrupting Northern California or Southern California, or the huge flooding disrupting Houston. And disruption has moved around on a regional basis. But the coronavirus now is producing true national disruption, and it could get a lot worse. In fact, it's disrupting things internationally. All over the world, the supply chains are being disrupted. And so when God told me that the, the word for this nation was disruption, then he spoke sternly to me and said, do not give me disruption. And my heart understood that in times of 
disruption, we would want God's help. And in order to get the full measure of his help, we should not give him disruption in our righteousness, holiness, praise, thanksgiving, or prayer. And these verses came to me very powerfully. Now, the first was Revelations 22:11. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. In other words, there shouldn't be any disruption in your righteousness or holiness. You know, go be holy to church on Sunday, then be a mean old ornery Pentecostal boogerhead Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Maybe get right with God on Friday. Uh, no, that's disruption. Okay? We don't want that. We don't want to give God that. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 came very powerfully to me. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now there... That's revealing God's will. God's will for each of us right now would be to rejoice in Jesus Christ, pray continually, and give thanks in all situations. But you see, there's no disruption in that. Now, I realize that sometimes we'll rejoice, and uh, I, I just sense that God was not very happy with us when we have big gaps in our rejoicing. What, what happens to us? Well. We rejoice and then we shut that off and we worry and grumble and fret and then finally we rejoice again. That's called disruption. <laughs> or we pray and cast our cares on the Lord and then we shut that switch off and we start to worry, grumble and fret. And we do that for a while until we realize we need to pray again and cast all of our cares on the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't want that sporadic type of prayer and, well, it's better than nothing, but that's not his that's not the best, all right? And that doesn't give us the full protection of God and blessing that we need. Now, the Bible says in Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. So if you'd like the Lord to give you strong support and have his eye on you, then concentrate on not giving him disruption when it comes to prayer, rejoicing, thanksgiving, holiness, righteousness. Now, later I found Amos 5.24, and I noticed again the same principle of not giving God disruption. And God said through Amos, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So God doesn't want us to take a break in our justice See, he wants us to always deal fairly, never lie, never cheat, never steal, never selfishly manipulate. So some Christians are honest two or three days, and then they're going to take a little break. Somebody knocks on the door, and you say to your kids, tell him I'm in the bathtub. You go stand in the bathtub. Your kid says, she can't come to the door right now. She's in the bathtub. Well, everybody smile. Don't give God disruption when it comes to truth and justice. See, a river is supposed to keep flowing. It'd be a really sick, weird river if it just went dry and then it ran a little bit and then went dry. No, let justice roll on like a river. Now, here's another one. God spoke through Hosea. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Now, break up your unplowed ground doesn't mean to go rototill your garden. It means to repent in your heart. Your old hard heart needs to be plowed and turned up to be soft and ready for the planting of the word of God like a seed in your heart. But notice that he said, reap the fruit of unfailing love. In other words, your love for God should be steady. It shouldn't be disrupted. And your love for your family shouldn't be disrupted where you love them one minute and then you're ready to kill them all the next minute. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know what I'm talking about. You can be loving and then you can be cranky and mean and selfish and angry. And you see, uh, my point in talking to you about this is that you want God to be strong in his support for you, right? You want his eye to be on you. You want all his help. And so disruption is happening all around us. And 
instead of being panicked about that and worrying and fretting, God wants us to just say, look, if, if, I, uh, if I don't give God any disruption, I'm going to have his constant help, his constant care. I'm going to concentrate on rejoicing and praying and casting my cares on him. And I'll continue to love as best I can and be just as much as I can. Uh, as much as I know what justice is, I'll do it and ask God to help me do it perfectly. Now, see, that's the f- then you're going to reap the fruit of unfailing love. All right. Now, let me give you an example. Daniel is someone who refused to give God disruption, but instead gave God unfailing love. And Daniel was, you know, taken captive to Babylon. And, uh, but he had a habit. He prayed three times a day. And he was so successful that the king was going to put him over the whole Persian empire. And so jealous men plotted against him. They got the king to issue a decree that anyone who prayed to any other god except for the king for 30 days would be thrown into a den of hungry lions. They made that law especially for Daniel because they knew he would keep on praying. And they knew that he was so honest they'd never catch him in any uh, you know, dishonesty or, or any slack of doing a bad job. So they said the only way we'll be able to get him is if we make some law regarding his religion. And so the law, the king was flattered and he decided that'd be a good idea if everybody prayed to him as if he was God. And so his pride was flattered. And so uh, the law was signed. And Daniel knew the document had been signed, but then he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees. Remember, you're going to get thrown into a den of lions if you pray. But he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he'd done previously. Now, see, he's got unfailing love. He's not giving God any disruption. He said, but boy, if he does that, he's going to be in big trouble. No, he's going to get big help. All right. So in the face of certain death, Daniel just concentrated on giving God unfailing love, continual thanksgiving and prayer. And God controlled all the rest. He sent his angel. Well, he did get thrown into the lion's den. But the Lord sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lion. And Daniel was lifted up and given a big promotion But his enemies that had that law written were all thrown with their families. Sad thing, but their families and them, they were all thrown to the lions. The lions broke their bones in pieces before they ever hit the bottom of the den. There was a lot of those guys, and then they had their families. There must have been a whole bunch of lions in that den. And think of the great deliverance there. Now, you see, we can worry ourselves frantic thinking, how am I going to get through all this stuff? Just concentrate on a few simple things. Give the, give the Lord unfailing devotion and love and seek him and pray and thank him and concentrate on that. He knows how to handle all the rest. He's got plenty of angels. And those angels know how to deliver from viruses. And before this message ends, I'll read you Psalms 91 where it says, uh, you know, that he'll give his angels charge of you and then no plague will come near your dwelling. Well, how could how could a plague stay away from the dwelling? I don't know how the angels do it, but they can keep they can keep viruses away from you. Now, when I was a young boy, somebody, maybe it was my sister or my parents, but they gave me a Bible story book. It wasn't a Bible, it was a Bible story book where it was written, you know, down for little kids to understand. And the cover picture was Daniel in the lion's den. There was an angel and the lions were there and Daniel was looking up with kind of like a light from the angel. I read that book so much I wore the cover completely off of it. Now that was before I ever started reading the Bible and discovered I needed to be born again in order to go to heaven. I started reading that when I was 12, got saved when I was 13. But you see, even as a little boy, God was drawing me to himself. Now I turned 70 on February 24th, 2020. And I'm going back to that story of Daniel 
to make sure I'm living the principle, I want to give the Lord uninterrupted devotion, just like Daniel. (laughs) See, friend, you and I can't control everything, so let's concentrate on what we can control. We can give God unfailing love and reap the fruit of that. And God can and will control all the situations that look so deadly, and he can make them work out for your good and my good. Now, the Lord did not tell me how long the disruption would last or how serious it would be. I felt like it would be pretty serious, but he didn't say how long it would last. And I believe that both the severity and the length of disruption can be reduced by prayer. So just remember, when when the disruption of this virus stops, because eventually uh, God is going to answer prayer, he's going to say enough, and that's going to stop then don't go back to giving God disruption. What's going to happen when the world, you know, it's the foxhole faith where you're in the war, you're in your foxhole, you say, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you all my life. Then the war is over and people go their own way and forget their vows to God. We want to make sure we don't do that because there will always be some new crises in the world and we don't want to be giving God disruption so that his powerful I and his, uh, you know, show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is uh, steadfast to him. Well, we want to continually avoid giving God disruption and be so faithful in our love and prayer. You get the point. All right. Now, my fifth point. Do not fear what the world fears. And one of the great faith concepts the Lord taught me over the years was to never fear an external problem. You figure out, is this problem an internal one or an external one? If it's external, it can't send me to hell. It's no big deal. God will mix grace with it, turn it into a miracle. It'll work out together for my good. See, that's a faith mentality. Now, we're only to fear internal problems. So when our hearts are getting hard and you hear your self-talk saying, I ought to run over that guy with my car. I'd like to knock his teeth down his throat. Oh, I... You know, you catch yourself and you think, uh-oh, I got an internal problem here. That's, that anger cannot be righteous. That's That's got to be bad. I got to ask for God's help. See, now we're supposed to get alarmed at internal problems, but not get alarmed at external problems. And then I've asked people all over America, I've preached in all 50 states and everywhere, I've asked people this question. What kind of problems are Christians more concerned about, internal or external? Everybody, everybody unanimously says external. We're more concerned about external problems. And I say, well, then, if you want to be a man or woman of faith, you got to change that. And you get alarmed at internal problems, but you don't get alarmed at external problems. See, they can't send you to hell. Now, the Lord forbids in the Bible, the Lord forbids us to get alarmed at external problems. Now, he wants us to make, take precautions, make preparations, wants us to pray, but not get into worry or fear. Let me read Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 through 13. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Now, here's God directly speaking. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Now, to dread means you dread the thought of rebelling against God and coming under his wrath. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 6, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such thing must happen, but the end is yet to come. Notice now a war is probably the biggest of all external problems because if you've got a full-fledged war, that brings famine with it and pestilence with it, see? But even in a war, we're not to fear the biggest of external problems. Now, Jesus told us this. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. And Jesus spoke more about hell than all the prophets put together. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. 
Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. So he's not going to allow you to be afraid of a terrorist, someone that could kill you. Now, the Chinese and the Russians could explode a nuclear bomb in the upper atmosphere and uh, fry our electrical grid. That's called an EMP. That would kill most of us. Old age is going to kill all of us who survive all the other stuff. So I think I'll just fear God, right? I'll just fear God. Now, by God's grace, I will refuse to fear external problems, even though I will try to avoid them, and I'll certainly try with God's help to overcome them, but I'm not going to allow myself to fear them. Now, God says through Isaiah, listen to this beautiful verse, Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But now thus says the Lord, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I'm going on to Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Well, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Some Christians don't want to read the news in order to avoid fear. I See, I want us to avoid fear, but I don't want us to be like an ostrich that's avoiding fear by sticking our head in the sand so you can't see what's going on. That only avoids knowledge and intercessory prayer. I believe that we need to know how bad an external problem is so that we can act wisely and pray. But if we get into real fear then we need to repent because fear means we've looked at the problem more than we've looked to God. So, like the psalmist, we need to turn fear into trust. Okay, so if you say, Brother Wes, am, I, am God mad at me because I feel fearful? Well, just, just do what I do my best to do. Turn your fear into trust. Sometimes people are, feel terrible, inadequate to get up and speak in front of people or to minister. They feel, I feel so inadequate. I feel so inadequate. I some, that's good. Uh, turn that into dependency. Turn your inadequacy into dependency because that's the first step in the cycle of success is to depend on God. And uh, if you can turn your inadequacy into dependency and then turn your fear into trust, you'll be in great shape. And so the psalmist says in Psalms 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, my sixth point, let's talk about some practical strategies that are important. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, uh, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, wisdom, and she'll keep you, love her, and she'll guard you. So, we should pray, God, give me wisdom. And wisdom can be very, very practical. I got our GospelNet Ministries signed up to be an affiliate with uh, affiliate marketer with silverbiotics.com. They're the company that makes Silversol, which is a nano silver solution, 10 parts silver per million parts of water. And they have scientific studies, papers, you know, all very authoritative proof that it can rebuild the immune system of someone with HIV, the AIDS. And uh, they also have scientific studies that had effectively destroyed the first SARS virus from 17 years ago. I have personally used it to recover from shingles, which is caused by the chickenpox virus. I got over it in three days. Now, um, so it has not been scientifically tested on this new coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, what, what we're calling COVID-19. It's actually the disease. So it hasn't been officially tested on that, but it is known to strip electrons from viruses in general and cause them to disintegrate. It strips electrons from viruses. So I have my whole family uh, taking a tablespoon in the morning and at night. It only stays in your system about 12 hours. I do not know if that'll be enough to prevent COVID-19, but it's something wise I can do if someone 
does get infected, I would think that larger doses, other than a tablespoon morning and night, probably some larger doses, would help them recover and recover more rapidly. I know that it also kills bacteria, and I've used it to kill throat infections before instead of getting on an antibiotic. And so if you were to go to their website, www.silverbiotics.com, and then if you want to buy something, you can read about the science stuff, read all about it. If you decide to buy something, use this discount code, GOSPELNET25. It's all capital letters run together, GOSPELNET25, no spaces. That gives you a 25% discount, and then our ministry gets 10% of your sale, and we're going to use that to buy Christian literature for chaplains to use in our prisons and jails across America. Right now, we're, we're giving away the book uh, to chaplains, 21 Ways to Forgive, and they just love to help their, uh, the people they're ministering to with that book. Now, here's something else. So, that's something wise you can do. I also bought a, a quantity of hand sanitizers, and uh, so I have got a big squirt bottle of that. But then I have a little travel bottle that I keep filled, and I keep that in my pocket. So I just drove to Roosevelt, Utah from, you know, Cresswell, Oregon, 950 miles one way. Uh, I'm always going in and out of gas stations, and, you know, my hands are touching doors. And so when I get back in my car, just squirt a little bit of that and rub that on my hands. I suppose that's wise. I also bought a box of 100 face masks, but I'm not uh, thinking that uh, I want to wear those very much, and I don't think they're very effective, but I have them just in case. Now, I think staying away from large crowds is another strategy, another wise strategy. And here's a Bible verse you can think about. The Bible says, Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. That's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20 through 21. Now, the Bible commands us to keep meeting together. Uh, so uh, I'm going to keep going to churches. As long as I can get meetings, I'll go to churches and speak there. Uh but I think we could avoid movie theaters or crowded sporting events until this threat is over. And I've always wondered about that verse and its application. And it, it seems very appropriate for this situation. And perhaps it was written especially for times of pestilence. Where it says, go my people, enter your room, shut the door, hide yourselves for a little while. Now, I, we're talking about wise strategies. I've been praying that God would use Israel to be a blessing to the whole world by developing a vaccine first. I just had a desire to pray that. And then after I'd prayed that for a couple of weeks uh, or three, four weeks, because I started praying that right away, uh, state-funded McGal Galilee Institute has been working for four years on a vaccine that could be customized for various viruses. And so it had a great big head start uh, when this COVID-19 disease emerged. And it's going to have an oral vaccine that's on track to begin human testing in just a few weeks from today. Now, anything that we can, it's, and that it'll be an oral vaccine, like the polio vaccine you just drank in a little cup. Uh, so uh, anything we can do to slow the spread of COVID-19 gives us more time for an effective vaccine to become available now, if you want to check up on that news story, just Google this, Israeli-made oral vaccine for coronavirus, and it'll bring up an up-to-date story about it. But Israel has a big jump on all the drug companies because they were working, uh, the, it was a, working on a, like a bird flu virus and it happens to have the very same mechanism of infecting the cells as the coronavirus. So they just had to tweak it a little bit, and they have a workable vaccine that's just about ready for human testing. Now, something practical we should do would just be pray that all the red tape, because there's a lot of greed involved. There's a lot of companies that wouldn't want Israel vaccine to get to you because they want you to wait a half a year or another year for their vaccine so they get all the money. And there will be a lot of that kind of junk going around, and we really need to pray that, that uh, you know, the right thing would happen. 
Now, here's something I think is interesting. Iran has more deaths from this than any nation other than China. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Iran had to ask Israel for help or if Israel offered to give them the vaccine for free? The Bible says if your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. You know, and by doing so, the Bible says you'll heap burning coals upon his head. In other words, you'll bring him under divine conviction. <laughs> so I just think it'd be wonderful if uh, Israel, which is so, uh, you know, the UN and so many Arab and Muslim nations, uh, you know, try to get people to be down on Israel. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Israel had exactly what they need and could serve them and, and God could bring uh, salvation through Israel? Now, two weeks ago from today, uh, Sean Boltz is a pr prophetic Christian minister. You may have heard of him. But he wrote this, The Lord showed me the end of the coronavirus. The tide is turning now. He's answering the prayers and cries of the nations and is putting an end in sight. The exaggerated fear-based tactics of both the enemy and several media outlets for political reasons is coming to an end. The enemy has been trying to distract and, distract and steal from several equally important purposes and issues by dominating airwaves with conspiracy and fear. Even now, several, even now, several vaccines are coming out, as well as a natural dying out of the virus itself. The Lord is saying, I am removing the threat of this. Within a short amount of time, the extreme threat will feel like it is in the way past, unquote. And then he wrote Psalms 56, 9 from the Passion Translation, which says, the very moment I call to you for a father's help, the tide of battle turns and my enemies flee. This one thing I know, God is on my side. Well, you know, it'll prove whether this was a true prophetic word or not, but, uh, Several vaccines are being rapidly developed. And then I heard where uh, the virus now has two forms and one is way less uh, deadly than the other. It has mutated into two forms. Remember, he said there'd be a natural dying out of the virus. Then on March 5th, 2020, Veronica West, who is a prophetic lady, posted this vision. Now, I've read some of her other stuff and she seems legit to me. I haven't seen anything that I thought was kooky or bizarre, and I believe that God gives people prophetic ministries. So here's what she says. I was busy but praying fervently for the nations when suddenly I was caught up in a strange vision where I saw what looked like a demonic pig with huge wings wearing a crown on its head. At first the pig was wading in deep mud, but then this demonic pig began to flap its huge wings and it took to flight. And while flying, suddenly I saw its wings being clipped and it began to fall rapidly to the ground. Just before I saw the pig hit the ground, the crown which sat upon its head fell to the ground and shattered. As I looked at this strange demonic pig with wings and a crown on its head, I immediately questioned what I was seeing, and I said to myself, pigs don't fly, and they certainly don't wear crowns. No sooner had I th had that thought crossed my mind, the spirit of revelation spoke these words to me, the swine virus, the bird virus, and now the crowned virus. Now watch, for just as I clipped the wings of the bird, drove the swine into the depth of the sea, so I will cast down the counterfeit crown that has exalted itself in the nations. Therefore, watch and pray, for my spirit will now move to clip the wings of the demonic fowls of the air and drive the satanic swine from within the midst of you and cast down every counterfeit crown that has sought to exalt itself in the nations of the earth." Unquote. And uh, her website is www.hiskingdomprophecy.com. And she puts up some, you know, new prophetic word quite often. So you can check her out, see what you think. Now, I'm not a prophet. But one day before I had read the prophetic word of Sean Boltz or the vision of Veronica West, I spoke to that virus one day and I said, get out of my way. It's like I took authority over it. Now, have you ever had a neighbor's dog tip over your garbage can and, and you go out on the porch and the dog growls at you and acts like he's got a right to be there 
strewing garbage all over your driveway, and then you yell at the dog, get out of here. That's the way I spoke to that virus. I said, get out of my way. And then I felt really good in my spirit, like, that's right. That's right. This thing is not of God. This thing is in my way. I've got to train disciples and speak on spiritual leaderships. I need to be able to go in and hold meetings in churches, not have all the meetings shut down. It's in my way. Get out of my way. Now, I believe that if Jesus was here in person, he would rebuke this thing like he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, be quiet, be still. And it instantly stopped all that storm. So we have authority in Christ. We should pray, of course, that God will save us and rescue us. But there might be a place to just use our authority and bind this thing and say, stop in the name of Jesus. Well, may the Lord lead us here. Now, I believe we should pray for all those that are in authority so that they'll be successful in whatever they do to protect their people and uh, pray that the red tape that can be so limiting uh, would be cut and that the right things could be done quickly and on time. Now, my last point is fill your heart and mind with God's promises for protection. And if you were just to start reading the book of Psalms and underline it with a pen, you'd just find verse after verse after verse that would greatly comfort your heart. And I didn't make this message too long by putting in all those verses that I could put in. But I want to read Psalms 91 to you. And it says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You'll only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's why I said earlier that angels know how to knock those viruses out right out of the air. That's pretty cool. An angel can shut the mouth of a lion. An angel can put a hedge around you to where the viruses can't get you. And so it says, they, uh, on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91, the ESV version. Now, then there's a verse in the New Testament, John 15, 7 and 8, that says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So one day I was saying, Lord... I'm not going to feel very well if a thousand die on my left hand and ten thousand on my right hand, but I don't die. I I would rather lift up a thousand on my left hand and lift up ten thousand on my right hand instead of just watching them die. And I realized then that in the Old Testament it said you'll abide in the shadow of the Almighty, but in the New Testament it says if you abide in me. And I think we have a better covenant than the Old Testament. We have the new covenant in Christ. And so we actually abide right in the Lord and his word abides in us. And that means we have tremendous power in prayer and we need to use that power and pray that God will be massively glorified in the world. I think we should pray for a worldwide revival and outpouring of God's spirit and a, uh, great healing miracles and things of that nature. I believe the world is ripe for a revival when 
they're not thinking about their parties, but they're thinking about their mortality. Now, Psalms 65, 1 through 2, and then verse 4 says, Praise is due to you, O God, O you who hear prayer. I want you to remember that verse. Praise is due to you, O God, O you who hear prayer. Then verse 4, Blessed is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Now say to the Lord, Dear Lord, O you who hear prayer. And then do what the Apostle Paul wrote. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, no disruption there. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, not even the coronavirus, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4. Well, let's say a prayer. Father, I thank you for my dear friends. I want you to protect each and every one. And I pray that you'll help each and every one concentrate on not giving you any disruption, but just to draw near to you so that their love is steadfast and they can reap the harvest of steadfast love like Daniel, even in a place of danger to be delivered and promoted, have the problem turn into a miracle. We pray that you'll have mercy on the nations of the world and all the people that might die and not be ready to meet you. And we pray you'll stop this thing and gain glory for the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, we pray you'd help us be like, similar to the virus, not to spread death, but to replicate our faith and bring the gospel to others. We ask you to forgive us for so many times being silent when we could pass our faith on to somebody else. Well, we entrust these prayers to you and pray that you'd keep us alive on earth to use us for your glory and fill each of us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friend, I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97 four two six.